Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome to Food for Thought, everyone. Food first. No, not food fight, although that is probably a great title for another monologue. I'll try to write that one later. Food first. Not second, and certainly not third. First. It is the highest need in Professor Maslow's hierarchy of need right up there with water and air. Food. Researchers from a variety of perspectives suggest a person can live three days without water and up to three weeks without food. That's general guidelines with tons of environmental factors not taken into account. Maslow developed the hierarchy of need pyramid, and his intention was to explain that people are motivated to achieve certain needs, that some needs take precedent over others. Our most basic need is for the physical survival, and this will be the first thing that motivates us and our behavior. Once that level is fulfilled, the next level up is what motivates us, and so on. Food first. Given that air and water are available food first. And it really is that simple. I want to say that I deeply appreciate the efforts of so many to do so much. For example, a lot is being invested in workforce development, early childhood education, and a host of other fantastic programming ideas that are intended to meet genuine needs in people's lives. I love it. Thank you all very much. I have one thing to share with you. Food first. Not second, and God forbid, definitely not third. In fact, I submit for your consideration, you can reach a higher level of effectiveness in your programming goals if you have a component that meets someone's food insecurity needs first. Not second, and certainly not third. First, partner with us, the Food Bank Council, and our network of professionals and watch your effectiveness rise your success measurements swell, and your desire to make a long-term lasting difference become satisfied. Food first, my friends. Food first. For example, teachers in the classroom will only be as effective as the food service people are in the school kitchen. Early childhood development will not succeed if food security is not created in the world of those children. Do you want to affect positive behavior? crime statistics, then feed people. Look, we say this Maxwellian saying all the time, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. The hard rock, stone cold, bottom line truth is no one is even listening to us if they are hungry. So two things I want you to grasp today. One, Whether you are an employer, nonprofit executive, involved in education, criminal court, early childhood, senior programs, or anything in between, if food security is not on your radar, you will not succeed at the highest level. And two, the fact is, you can't create food security in this state without us, the Food Bank Council of Michigan and our network of seven regional food banks. Food first, people. Food first. Jerry and I will be right back.
Welcome back to Food for Thought, sponsored by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Okay, I'll just get your reaction here. Well, you know, I, I'm combing my hair back because it was blown back a little bit by the monologue. Uh, you know you're preaching to the choir in the studio. We have got to put food first, and I'm excited about the conversation we had with Paul W. on Mackinac Island. I think he for sure was putting food first. And we've got a couple other great guests on the show coming up with Diane Galinsky and Ken Estelle who are definitely putting food first. So this should be a show that frames that monologue really well. And Dr. Knight, I know that your endeavor... Uh, food for thought and with jerry co-hosting with you this is a platform for sharing ideas and more importantly solutions to do that unthinkable thing and food insecurity which is a major problem it's why when when we're at home eating and whether i've done something on the grill or kim has done something in the kitchen or we've brought food to go into the house because we've done it all We say our little blessing, and I always include in that blessing, and let us not ever take for granted that there are people within blocks of where we live that will never have such a feast. And that feast could be the simplest meal or an extravagant meal. The point is, we never want to forget, and I don't want our children to forget or take for granted, that there are people that are hungry close by. We're not talking about sending money off to other countries. God bless those people and the people that do that. We are talking about food insecurity in our own backyard. And And it impacts so many different aspects of our society, Paul, in that, you know, we talked with educational outcomes. We talked about behavioral issues in school and out of school. Uh, we talked about how we, as a society, make light and fun of hunger, and we think about the last Snickers commercial that you saw. And But it, we also know that from children to seniors and everybody in between, if they live under the toxic stress of hunger, of food insecurity, well, we say it like this, and I'd like to get your reaction. If you're hungry, you only have one problem because your mind's not free to think about all the other things that you would want to do. Nothing else matters at that Nothing point. else matters. What am I going to eat today? What am I going to give to my kids? Well, what are your kids going to eat today? It's got to be an un... Speaking of unfathomable. Right. I can't even imagine the pain that that is for a mother or father realizing that they don't know where the next bit of food is going to come, not for themselves, but for their kids. Yeah. Well, that's why we're doing Food for Thought on WJR, and I don't think there's anybody that understands the power and the influence of radio, particularly WJR, better than you, and that's why we wanted to ask you to come on the show today, because we think that this medium at WJR is the vehicle to help us change the conversation about food insecurity. I sure hope so. And we've all worked together. Jerry, you recall uh, Tom and Vicki Chalani, the Chalani Family Foundation. You know, it's the private sector. Uh, Tom and Vicki and uh, Dario Bergamo, who did this uh, Hunger Free in the D now for a few years. I think they're over a million bucks. Yeah. Uh, they do the, the cars and cigars. That event's coming up. I don't know the date off the top of my head. I'll be emceeing that again. And they, they are, we have some people out there who really get it and are yeah. involved in major six- and seven-figure fundraisers. But every one of us can help out in one way or a little, even if it's 10 bucks right. uh, or giving of our time to help at a food bank or at a, at a kitchen fixing food or, or helping cleaners recover and save food. Uh, right. uh, there are ways we can all be involved, and I think all of us realize we can fix this, and I think all of us realize 
this shouldn't exist in this great country of ours. Right. That's very true. It is. It is. And and I think one of the things we hope um, is that we're not just out there saying, oh, this can be fixed. We have real innovation. We're, we're driving new programming every year across the state. We, un, we unveiled a, uh, pro, a program to capture 20 more million pounds of frozen food just a few months ago. That's going to come to realization in the next few months. And the state wow. of Michigan has been hugely helpful in doing that. We just talked to Kirk Mays from Forgotten Harvest, who's looking at bringing more surplus food through the Canadian pipeline. And, uh, and that's another hugely helpful thing that could be another 10 or 20 million pounds of food. Now, you know, those numbers sound big. But there's 700,000 food insecure people just in southeast Michigan. Statewide, there's even more. Well, here's just to frame the problem a little bit for listeners in southeast Michigan. We could solve the food insecurity, create food security all across the state. And out of that population, 43% would still be food insecure in southeast Michigan. If we solved it elsewhere, not here. Oh, I I see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so... Healthcare. We've had a lot of really good conversations about the link between healthy food and what they're trying to accomplish in terms of patient health, population health, and lower cost. You put food in that triangle, nothing drives those things harder than food. So, so we know that we can link up with people in ways that end up uh, finding itself on the bottom line, if you will, so that those dollars can be reinvested in new solutions, right? And that's how you solve this, one thing at a time. You've got to be innovative. You've got to work with people and and help them understand how they win when this is solved. I'll tell you what, guys. It's your enthusiasm and your confidence and belief, both you, Jerry, and you, Phil, that this can be accomplished, that you're helping people through the airwaves, through the most uh, intimate of mediums, the radio airwaves, you're helping them understand that there is hope here, yes. that this really can be done. So I salute you mm. through this program, Food for Thought on WJR, and through the other ways that you guys communicate with people in person. And, uh, and, and I think that I just wanted to say it's a, it's a pleasure and a privilege to spend a few minutes with you. Well, it's great to have you. Thanks for taking the time to be on Food for Thought. And I have to say thank you to you and Kim as well because we understand your commitment to us and and to this issue. It's a value for you. It's a non-negotiable. And uh, your time and gift of your abilities to help and uh, the comedy night at uh, for Forgotten Harvest. You know what? I'm dancing in and dancing out. You guys are on the front line every day, and I salute you for that. Well, Thank you, Paul. We're very grateful. We are. Thanks for being with us here on Food for Thought. My pleasure. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Jerry, um, you know, food first, right? So it's just not any food will do. It's, we really have an emphasis on health, access to healthy, nutritious food. And we're gonna, we've got a project that everybody is kind of rallying around, including the state of Michigan and the legislature, um, who are helping us start what we call, and our regular listeners will know this, the IQF project. And uh, that gives people access to fresh frozen fruits and vegetables. And once we get up to, um, what's the word I want, capacity, 
that's going to mean people are going to have access to this freshly frozen fruits and vegetables all year long here in Michigan. Yeah, and it gets back to understanding systems as a way to drive solutions. So if you don't know where the food is coming from and going to, if you don't know how it's being processed, if you don't know who's responsible for getting all that done, well, then you're running a little blind. And so the great thing about the IQF project is uh, one conversation with one producer of the frozen food opened our eyes to a whole new process people responsible for that process, the actual logistics that it takes to to create that food, and it uncovered what? A whole bunch of food that's perfectly good, but not the right size or the right color, or it wasn't cubed right, and so it's not sellable. People aren't going to buy it, but it's healthy. It tastes good. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it, and now, rather than throw that away, we can do something else with it. So, you know, when when we put food first... We're not just using flowery words. We're actually putting a whole lot of substance underneath that to understand the food chain from the very beginning to the very end and knowing how we can make the most of every step in that process and make this cheaper and better and then provide the resource that the community needs to solve all kinds of things, not just hunger. Don't you just get the, when you look at the the opportunity here with IQL, frozen, quick, individually quick frozen food, don't you get the idea like, oh my God, well, like, why weren't we thinking about this 10, 15, why haven't we thought of this before now? Yeah, and I think it's because when you start innovating and you start really breaking down a problem into literally bite-sized chunks, you can start to solve the problem. Sometimes solving the whole problem is the problem. And what you need to do is let go of the whole picture and just start breaking it down into chunks that you can handle one thing at a time. I mean, it's the saying, how do you eat an elephant? Right. One bite at a time, right? So you're, you're, you can't imagine it when you start. But I just look at food banking in general. Forty years ago, when food banking got started, nobody ever imagined how how important we would be to solving food insecurity no one because when you start all you're trying to do is you know get something off the ground and and try to be helpful and keep some of the food you're aware of from going to waste well 40 years later we're a lot smarter we're a lot more efficient and so those efficiencies and those those learnings teach you the thing you need to do next and so here we are with IQF because we've talked to farmers and because we've talked to food manufacturers, we know how to have those conversations and we know where to look mm-hmm. and, and how to delve yeah. a little bit deeper into their process. So we're, we're better at uncovering these things than we were before. Well, you know, I get a little discouraged because we didn't think of this sooner and we could have, how much food have we missed all this time? But then I remind myself that it took us about 100 years to put wheels on a suitcase. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> an excellent point. Yes, an excellent point. So, you know, we're a little slow, but we're worth the wait is what I think. So, you know, I, I think we might as well talk to the gentleman who's kind of the founder and in, chief innovator of this project. And he's uh, Ken Estelle, who is the CEO at the Feeding America West Michigan food bank that's located just north of Grand Rapids in Comstock Park. And uh, ironically, his uh, food bank uh, has quite the reach. They serve 40 out of the 83 counties uh, in Michigan. And so I think that they're covering about half the state. We cover a lot of area, yeah, from uh, the west side, all of the lower peninsula, all the way through the UP. 
I think when I was in your office for the first time, you explained to me it would be like driving from Detroit to Atlanta. <laughs> well, it's a long drive. We were one of the few food banks that had to use over-the-road trucks to get from one end to the other. But, uh, yeah, it takes a good 10, 10 11 hours to uh, get from our, our Benton Harbor facility up to our facility in, in Hancock-Holton area. Wow. Well, tremendous work you're doing, and um, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show is not only the great impact you're having across the western and the upper peninsula, uh, but also because of some of the innovative opportunities that you've helped to create on the west side. And uh, the name of that is, I'm just going to throw it out and let you explain it, but we call it an IQF project, and help us understand what that means. Yeah, we've been working. The IQF is is an instant uh, frozen process where it basically it's indiv- it stands for individually quick frozen uh, produce. And what we've been doing on on this side of the state, we have a number, uh, almost ten large uh, frozen processors that uh, produce uh, millions and millions of pounds of of food for the retail industry. Basically, when you go to the store and you buy the frozen uh, bag of corn or peas or or something, that's what they produce. Uh, we've been working with these folks for some time, and what what's happened and what we've developed is a relationship where some of the produce that they free, freeze in their process gets rejected because it not, might not be exactly the right size uh, when it comes through the process, or the color might be just slightly off, or there's some cosmetic imperfection, but the food is certainly safe and, and good to eat, and it gets rejected. And, and for years, they were basically throwing a lot of that away. And what we've worked with uh, initially, we worked with Arbor Farms in Walkerville to capture that product and, and donate it to the food bank, where we then take it and inspect it repackage it into family size portions and distribute that throughout our, our service area and, in fact, share it with food banks around the state. And so that's exciting. The one farm that we're working with so far, Arbor Farms, is produces about 200 million pounds of this frozen product annually, and they estimate they can donate uh, between 2 and 3 million pounds a year of the product that would wow. get rejected off their line. So that's what we're capturing, and that's just one out of the 10 companies that are uh, currently doing that in our service area. So when we talk about that, you know, I, I know that when people hear millions of pounds, it's hard to put that into perspective. So as you think about this, Ken, when you say, okay, two or three million pounds from one, there's nine others to go. How do you describe the opportunity both for the food bank and most importantly for the people that we're trying to serve? Well, I think for us as a food bank, I mean, what we've always tried to do is capture more healthy product. And so the first point is, this is really nutritious product. And the way it's processed is, is all of the uh, nutritional elements are captured in this freezing process. So point one is it's really healthy product, stuff that is, is really highly desired. And so from a ability to be able to get this type of produce year-round is very exciting for us. But for the families that use it, um, again, it's, it's one of the healthy products that you can get. It typically is fairly expensive in the store, so a lot of the families that we serve just simply don't can't afford to, to purchase this. So getting this type of product to the families we serve is, is a, real, uh, a real advantage. Great thoughts from Kenneth Stale there, Jerry. And uh, we're going to come back and, and continue this conversation along the theme of food first and how do we get great food to people in need. Come back and be with us here on Food for Thought, heard only on WJR.
You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. And I have to say that this emphasis that we're talking about in the show today, and particularly starting with the monologue all the way through the show about food first, is fast becoming a value for me. That I think that the value the value brings is is so radically important to people's success and effectiveness in their programming. And again, they're doing some great programming, but if they don't have food security on their radar first, not second, and God forbid not third, they're not nearly going to be as effective as they and I and I think well, that's my thoughts for now. Yeah, and uh, fortunately, we have people that understand that well and who are walking with us in many different positions and in many different professions. Uh, and how important is it that we have allies in the education system who are working with us? So the Michigan Department of Education uh, is a conduit for food into um Michigan. Now, some people are always asking, well, how, why is emergency food and, and summer feeding programs and all this food flowing through the Department of Education? Well, one of the reasons is because of their leader. The nutrition director for the Michigan Department of Education is Dr. Diane Galinsky, who's been on the show just recently and and now is uh, – I just spoke for, with her at a conference for the nutritional um, – uh, people uh, that serve in all of the school district and she will tell you the reason all of the food flows through the, the mde is because they want to feed the whole person for the whole year you know we have a vision in our department under superintendent Whiston to be a top 10 education state in 10 years and a part of that is addressing food security and making sure that these kids the last thing on earth they should ever have to worry about is if they're going to eat and so if we can let them then focus on being a kid and learning and taking care of the food behind the scenes and making sure it's there when they need it, then the kids can truly do their job, which is to be a learner and be a good student. So I want to take a, just a little risk. Are you, are you ready for it? Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things, and, and I have four kids, and two are, two are in college now, and two are still in, the, in grade school. And, um, and I see the, the kids in their classrooms regularly. You know, I volunteer, mm-hmm. my wife sure. volunteers. And I'm, I'm fairly convinced in my own personal experience, admitting this is somewhat anecdotal, that some of the kids that come to school and are distracted and end up on the track of, mm-hmm. you know, they've got attention deficit disorder, I'm fairly convinced that at least some of that problem really is food insecurity. Absolutely. Or not access to food that's healthy that feeds their brain. Right. Exactly right. right. And so, you know, when you look at the cost of administering a program where you're identifying kids with a, a condition that's, that's then treated with medication compared yeah. to the cost of just providing enough food, it is ridiculously simple to get to. Let's just provide the food. And what I would like to do is take at least the programs that I have responsibility for, turn that on its head, and let's be the programs that are proactive and we're out there and we're ahead of that curve so that that's not something that others need to worry about. 
And how much less chaotic is that for the families themselves? And so it's, you know, we love working with you. We, we always have, and we appreciate what you're doing to, to drive better solutions for food insecurity and education, all the things you're doing. It's incredible work. Thank you. It's all for the kids. Great thoughts from Diane Galinsky there, Jerry. Um, again, the uh, Director for Nutritional Services, I think she shares our value of food first. Well, there's no doubt about it. And the, the, the number of people that have to be involved in this may seem pretty large. But the good news is there's an awful large number of people that want to be involved in this and that are working every day they go to work to imagine how we can make this problem better. So we're going to try to pull these people together as we work on this problem so that A, people know they're not alone. B, we're going to get the best ideas from the smartest people working directly to solve this problem and start to solve it one piece at a time. The education system touches so many kids in need. And those kids really are in every school district. It's not just certain ones. Every school district has a certain number of kids whose families are struggling and are food insecure. When we solve this problem for the children just going to our schools, it will have a positive impact on every community in our state. So, you know, we talk about educational outcomes in this state a lot, and there's a lot of negativity around that conversation. I was just at a learning lab with uh, Michigan Department of Education, the team that Diane Galinsky has put together to address childhood hunger, and I had two thoughts from that. The first thought was, wow, we really need MDE to be our partner. It seems like we've been their partner because all this food flows through that administration out into the community, and we're one of the conduits that they partner with. Again, 50% of the emergency food goes through the food bank network. So I, I saw us as their partner. I really never saw them as ours. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And, of course, one partner, it goes back and forth always, right? But what changes when you put it in that perspective is how are you each contributing to each other's mission? And when you put food first as a value and you know what food banks do in terms of the millions of pounds of food that we distribute through our systems and through our networks every year, and you begin to say, you know, as our network needs help and support and new ways to distribute new food like the frozen food that we're talking about, school systems can partner with us to get that healthy food where it needs to go in the most efficient ways using systems that they know best. Well, yesterday uh, at this, uh, recently I should say, (laughs) that at this conference that I was with them uh, programming that they're talking about to go to the next level of food security in a child's life, many of those programs, probably two-thirds of those programs, if not more, involved partnership with the food bank. And that's amazing. And uh, I think that's one of the things we really bring to the table to take hunger off the table. So the second thing I realized at this learning lab was this. If education is going to be held accountable for outcomes, okay, then I think they also have to be given the permission to address the environmental factors that affect those outcomes. And I think food is one of those primary environmental factors that 
indicate or, uh, or hinder the progress that we're demanding of our educational system. So if we're going to hold them accountable, we got to give them the permission to address those environmental factors as well. Right. And we have to know the answer to some pretty important questions. So if the school system says, well, we're providing breakfast and lunch already, and some of these families are already getting supplemental nutrition assistance through the SNAP program, which in Michigan is the EBT card, used to be called food stamps. If they're already getting that, well, how much more do we need to do in order for these kids to have enough food and and for these households to really be food secure? And I think what we can do is help everybody understand the answer answer to that question. How much more do we need to do? That's based on data. Exactly right. Not on, not on based on my personal feelings or ideology or any other sort. It's based on the research that we're doing at the Food Bank Council on a statewide basis. And knowing what's affecting families right now. I mean, things aren't static. The economy's not static. The the changes to people's health care isn't static. Uh, it's Everyone is moving forward in a life that's changing around them. And so the answer has to change with the circumstances. So the way we map the data has to be sensitive to those changes so we can keep answering the question, who needs this, how much do they need, and for how long? Great. Great way to sum up this segment with Dr. Diane Golinski and, again, on the theme about Food First. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Phil Knight. We're going to be right back with another segment of Food for Thought. Everybody kind of taking a unique perspective on uh, Food First. You know, and going right back to Paul W. at the very beginning of our show, basically admonishing everybody and saying, you know, everybody can help. Everybody can help. And you you get him, you get Ken, you get Diane, you think about all the other guests we've had, and it, you start to believe it. You know what? Right. Maybe everybody can help. And on our show, we don't very often talk about how people can help. And maybe now would be a good time to do that. Well, and I think, I think you probably have some great ideas, and this is going to be born out of your experience, things that you've seen succeed, things that you... Uh, saw you wish had seceded more (laughs) and uh, kind of a boots on the ground because you do lead uh, Gleaners Community Food Bank. You're the CEO and president, but you've invested a large portion of your one handful of life into this work. So why don't you just tell the rest of us what it is that we can do to help create food security across the state. Well, you know, one of the things I say all the time is no money, no mission. And uh, and yeah. you, you also say that the food banks are one of the best returns on investment that you can make. So here's the truth of that. Every dollar you give to a food bank generally buys six meals. That's the average statewide for every donated yep, dollar true. getting six meals. That's a pretty good return on investment. And when you think about the millions of pounds of food and the hundreds of thousands of people that we touch as a network, giving money means you're making your donated money go farther. So look at the math, because you, you've informed us on this show that the a food insecure person misses how many meals three and a half meals a week on average on average so one dollar do the math here not too hard to do right seven meals would be two people for a week 
Yeah. Right? And $1 gets six meals on average, so you're almost there even with just a dollar to help two people for a whole week. Isn't that pretty amazing? It is pretty amazing and not hard to find. So we're going to say this website several times. It's the Food Bank Council of Michigan website. If you Google the Food Bank Council of Michigan, you can find it that way. Otherwise, it's fbcmich, M-I-C-H dot org, fbcmich dot org. And on the Food Bank Council of Michigan website, you can find every food bank in Michigan. There's only seven of us. We're easy to find on the website. And if you want to help your local food bank, start at the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Click on the food bank that's your local food bank and uh, and donate that way. And again, every dollar providing six meals on average throughout the state of Michigan. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool. Not only can you give money, but you can volunteer your time. And one of the most amazing statistics around the network is how many volunteers we have in the network. So you're talking about in excess of 150,000 Michiganders who are giving of their time in order to volunteer through the Food Bank Network. Every year. That is not a 40-year statistic. That is a one-year statistic. Yeah, and let me clarify that. That's in the seven regional food banks. That doesn't include the 2,900 different pantries that you all deliver this food to. So those are volunteers as well. But just within the seven food banks, more than 150,000 people. So volunteer your time. Certainly giving money is important, but giving time is also really, really important. We use volunteers to repack donated food, to make backpacks of food for kids. We use volunteers on our boards. We use volunteers with special expertise to solve logistics problems or accounting issues, all kinds of ways that specific expertise is used, all that adds up to over 150,000 volunteers a year. So again, if you go to the Food Bank Council of Michigan website, fbcmich.org, you can click on a local food bank. All the contact information is there where you can say, hey, I'd really like to volunteer. We need you. We want you. We can put you to work. Absolutely. So another way that's common for people to help us is to conduct a food drive. And food drives essentially is when you mobilize your church or your place of employment or your neighborhood to collect food together so that you can give that food to your local food bank. But really, you only need that to happen during Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Uh, No, no, not at all. In fact, we use that food all year long. It's really important to us. In fact, statewide, Over two and a half million pounds of food are collected and redistributed just through food drives. Now, one of those big food drives that happens not at Thanksgiving and Christmas is the U.S. Postal Service. That's right. Second Saturday in May, the National Association of Letter Carriers has the biggest... Uh, food drive of the year. It is national. It's it's enormous. It's billions of pounds of food over their years of doing What do they this. call that? Stamp? Stamp out hunger. Stamp out hunger. That's exactly right. I like that. But you'll often see Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and schools. I think my kid's school does a couple food drives every year, and they all matter. You know, everyone wants to give and participate in this in a different way, and food drives are a great way to participate. So, so that, let me let me give a shout out here to MARSP, the Michigan Association of Retired School Personnel, who came to us and said they'd like to start their own food drive, and they they want that food to go toward the kids that are out of school during the summer, and they call that campaign "Summer Hungry." 
Pretty cute. Yeah, it was. I like that slogan. I remember when they presented to our board. That was pretty cool. They're pretty cool. Well, that's up and running, and I've seen the billboards all across mid-Michigan, stretching over here to eastern side of Michigan. Summer Hungry, a Michigan Association of Retired School Personnel, and that's a, that's, that's a great campaign. And we have all the tools that you need to do this. So you don't have to make up and figure it out on your own. Again, go to the Food Bank Council of Michigan website, fbcmich.org. Find your local food bank, and we can help you create a unique food drive just for your group. Um, it's a lot of fun. Competition really adds value to those things, mm. and it's another way that you can really help and make a difference. That's very cool. So you're talking to us about giving our time, talent, and a little bit of our treasure. That's exactly right. Jerry Brisson, last word on today's show. So putting food first, how many of us don't do that already? How many of us start the day wondering what we're going to have for breakfast, start thinking about lunch, and by the end of the day are thinking about dinner? We know ourselves that putting food first is important just to get through Mm. our day. Imagine if putting food first was something you can't do because there is no resource for you to do that. And that's what we as a network are trying to change. We're trying to make it so that those families, those parents, those seniors, those veterans that can't put food first can put food first so that everything that's falling second that they need to do can become first for them, really. So here's some food for thought. Starve your distractions and feed your focus. There is so much good being done in this area of food, it is sometimes overwhelming even for us. However, many efforts are unfocused and few things in life are more frustrating than the inability to see clearly. To focus is to concentrate, dedicate attention, resources, energy on a specific catalyst that will bring about the desired result. So here it is, focus. Follow one course until successful. And as I said in the opening monologue, we're gonna focus on food first. Thanks for listening to Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson and I will be back next week here on WJR. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.